Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 7, the one about personal brands, Fortnite, Pot Noodles and Tenet. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of the Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, a brand new video and audio series to help you keep track of all the latest tech, news, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple. He is the voice of the Finance and Marketing Podcast and the host of the Roger Log video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back. This show is really gathering momentum and I'm so excited about it. But of course, you are also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. You're the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast and many other video series. I give you Pascal Fintoni. Thank you so much. So Roger, this is episode number seven. Yeah. This, you know, is something that I'm starting to really look forward to. I'm wondering whether in a way, deep down, most people who do podcasts, particularly with a co-host or video podcast, they do it really because they frankly enjoy spending time with their friends. Absolutely right. And you know what? If we weren't sat here recording this with all our gizmos and bits of tech, we would actually be sat in a coffee shop or a pub somewhere with a pot of coffee or a bottle of wine having the same conversations as we're about to have now, I think. And at the end of the conversation, you and I would say, as we've said for the last two, three years, do you know what, Roger? We should have recorded this. We should have recorded this, yes, so absolutely. Let me remind you, <laughs> we launched a few weeks ago now, Roger, our first four episodes. Now number five and six are out and about being shared you know, and listened to and watched by many people. We received some wonderful, heartwarming feedback as well. I oh, look seeing those comments that people have been putting both on the YouTube feed and on LinkedIn and on Twitter. It's well, it makes it worthwhile, doesn't it, to get that feedback and and to know that people are really enjoying the banter, the stories, and the content that we're we're showing. Yes, because when you and I designed, obviously, and thought about two gigs and marketing podcast and came up with a segment. We wondered whether actually, well, we thought, well, we would, you know, would enjoy the segments and the content, but would others do? And, mm. and frankly, the feedback so far suggests that we should keep going. And with that in mind, shall we move on with our very first segment, perhaps one of my favorite uh, part of the show, In the News. In the News, let's do it. Right, Roger. So let's begin with news from Airbnb, who's offering movie fans the chance to stay at the last blockbuster store on Earth in Deschutes County, Oregon. The sleepover will allow people to relieve the full experience of a visit to the film rental store. Fortnite, the game. Do you play Fortnite? Fortnite sues Apple and Google after it's dropped from the app stores. Now, Epic Games' lawsuit supposedly is not seeking money but it's asking for injunctions that would change the way that tech firms operate their app stores. Extensive neuroscience studies conducted by Mars, you know, the company behind brands like M&Ms and Skittles, shows that marketers now only have two seconds to capture their customers' attention online. Ryan Reynolds has launched his very own streaming service, but with just one movie, Foolproof, Reynolds' 2003 movie co-starring Kristen Booth. Now, it's effectively a marketing campaign for Mint Mobile, but I just love the way that they've framed it as a streaming service. TUI, the Europe's biggest holiday company, saw its revenue slumped 
98% between April and June due to lockdown measures across most of our continent. Yeah, Hagen Das is doubling its investment in digital marketing as it looks to capitalize on the momentum it gained during lockdown. Whilst it cut back on spending traditional media, its digital investment has increased significantly. In a recent survey by Marketing Week and eConsultancy, 64% of marketers feel that they are as productive working from home. However, less than half received any training during lockdown. And finally, Pot Noodle hosts gaming experience for virtual freshers' fairs. You know how universities start each year with a freshers' week? Well, obviously, this, this year it's going to be a bit of a cut-down thing because of COVID. So university campuses are going to be replicated by Pot Noodle in a virtual environment. Wow. Okay. Um, every week I am stunned by both the news and how much my mind is racing. <laughs> I choose one and make comments. I'm afraid, Roger, uh, uh, as the lead host today, I've yes. done a kind of pool rank and talk about Airbnb and Blockbuster. Let's do <laughs> that then. That? <laughs> well, I mean, I was actually quite surprised that there was even a, a one Blockbuster store left, to be perfectly honest. Actually, I suppose in the back of my mind, I, I was aware of that. But, you know, Blockbuster is often used by marketers as an example, I guess in the same way as they used Kodak as an example of a business that didn't predict where it was going into the digital world. And they effectively got overtaken by downloads, etc., in the same way as Kodak cameras got overtaken by digital. Uh, so I, su I suppose I can see ab absolutely how Airbnb are capitalizing on the, I suppose, the, nost the nostalgia that people do have for Blockbuster. Because even though Blockbuster's long gone, most of us of a certain age remember it. Most of us even still got our Blockbuster membership cards squirreled away somewhere in an archive <laughs> box. So, so yeah, I, I can see. And I, and I bet the take-up has been actually quite high. Well, um, the sale went on on Airbnb on the 17th of August, so a bit more than almost two weeks ago now. And I did look into it for you and I, Roger. Um, uh -huh. you, know, you know, I do my research. <laughs> so it was promoted to begin with at $4 a night, which I thought was very, very um, you know, good value. The fly was more expensive, however, for you and I to get there. And currently, I'm afraid to say the marketing budget of two gigs and the marketing podcast won't stretch that far. So we'll have to wait. But I mean, you can imagine it, it just went uh, and was sold out for the foreseeable future very, very quickly. So I take it this was a PR stunt for Airbnb and a very good one of that. The same way um, Hagen Dance, the same way, you know, Mint Mobile, the same way Noodle are almost bringing two elements that are desperate and should not work together, but they make it work. Yeah, and, and actually, that's a really good thing. I, I read recently that sometimes some of the best ideas are to take two things that you wouldn't normally think would work and actually try to plug them together and see what the outcome of it is. So I, I, I just love all of these these ideas and the pot noodle one again you know there i saw the visual of this ver i mean it says it's a it's creating a virtual freshers fair but actually to be perfectly honest it looked like a retro game something like transport tycoon or or roller coaster tycoon as opposed to a genuinely accurate uh, recreation of say a city like edinburgh or glasgow 
What did you make of uh, what you mentioned about Fortnite suing Apple and Google? Do you see this to be a trend that we're going to see more and more with uh, you know, organizations and brands who feel perhaps not well treated and respected by those distributors? Yeah, do you know, it's interesting. Quite a few years ago, I was involved in putting together an app for a company I was working for. And I remember at the time, actually dealing with the App Store, the Apple App Store, was was actually quite a bureaucratic process. And, and it felt to me that I should have been the customer of Apple. Whereas it just felt as if they were putting hurdles in my in my way to get this app approved, and you know Fortnite is an incredible game in terms of audience size. You know there are millions and millions and millions of people who play this game day in day out. There are people out there who've made careers doing videos about Fortnite. So I, you know, everybody of a certain age is playing Fortnite. And yet, Apple and Google can immediately close off distribution almost on a whim, Pascal. Now, if you've got such a big brand, and, and you know, some of the marketing uh, that Fortnite have been doing, Epic Games have been doing for Fortnite, it, it's phenomenal. You know, they, they even have films going on inside the Fortnite um, ecosphere. And, and to, to effectively be closed down on a platform like Apple and Google just doesn't seem right. But then again, it's Apple and Google's platform. They can do what they want. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. You know, who will win? Yeah, because that, that will set, sorry, Roger, that will set a precedent for, for others mm. who perhaps feel that distribution channel should be, you know, open, not, not mm. closed. But you're right, when it is a private organization, it's very, very tricky. I mean, for me, the, the news that uh, obviously I read was around TUI, which again, for me, is that barometer with regard to what's happening in the travel and tourism industry. Now, as you mm. know, Roger, I, I began my career in, in marketing in the travel industry in the early yep. 90s. That, uh, even though I left it behind uh, a long time ago, I'm still very fond of it and I keep track of what's happening. And the reason why this is um, bad news, really, 98% drop in sales during April and June, which are essentially busy months for anyone. But it's also just the supply chain of hotels, of airlines, of airport staff, or uh, coach you know, for the transfer staff, the marketing that goes behind it, the advertising. Mm. So mm. the tourism industry is, uh, is a large employer, but is also a large spender. Uh, mm. And I think for me, it's it's one of them that we we have to keep track of because it will tell us a lot about the, the health, you know, of of a, of a nation, and both in terms of um, you know that financial health, but also uh, employment health because um, it's tough. And and we still, at the time of recording this and publishing it, we we'll still be in in August, and we still have, I think, a long autumn and winter to get through. Yeah, actually, looking out the window now, we've got a long autumn and winter happening this minute. It's dreadful weather in Edinburgh today. So I would actually love to go somewhere sunny, but I'm just not in the mindset that I want to get on a plane yet, Pascal. Not quite. So what we need to do to cheer ourselves up is to watch, obviously, Ryan Reynolds' movie, Foolproof, <laughs> and uh, and also kind of take, uh, take stock of uh, the Mint Mobile in a PR stunt as well. Now, listen, and, and eat loads of pot noodles too. Too, yes. I think that's what we should do. So in fact, the in the news becomes a bit of a checklist of what to do during uh, you know kind of semi lockdown to cheer ones uh, up. So Roger, let's move on if you don't mind, because I need to make sure that time is used wisely for this recording. Let's move on to what I believe to be one of your favorite segment, content spotlights. 
So in this segment, Roger and I choose a article, a podcast episode, a video, indeed an infographic that really caught our attention. We don't share what we've chosen for a particular episode until the day of the recording. So with that in mind, Roger, please surprise me. What have you chosen for today? I've got an article, Pascal, by a gentleman we both know. We've both been to conferences where this person has been a speaker, and he is Mark Schaefer. Uh-huh. Now, Mark is a quite a famous marketing person from the United States. He's written many books, many books, and I've been at at least three conferences where he's made a speech. And in fact, I've been at one conference where I was also sharing a stage with Mark, and he's got a really nice balance between a motivational style talk, but he's also quite data-driven and research-driven. So he always backs stuff up with evidence to support his arguments, which I actually quite like. But he's also been blogging for many, many years, over over a decade. And, and I do like to read his blogs as much as I like to see him perform on stage. And I saw one recently, and it's really grabbed my attention. And it, and it just has a very simple heading. I was saved by my personal brand. Now, I read this article, Pascal, and I thought, you know, this must ring a bell with many, many people like us who all of a sudden had to face what COVID was doing to our business. You know, either all of our bookings disappeared or we had to make a, dare I say, pivot in the way that our businesses operate. We may have had to move offline to online, whatever it might be. Now, as a speaker, Mark, like me and like yourself, suddenly had a load of live events and workshops cancelled within the space of a few weeks. If, if a few days, uh, book sales plummeted, which I actually also thought was interesting because, you know, you would have expect maybe book sales might have gone up during a lockdown. But no, he said that his book sales have almost disappeared as well. And on top of that, when you read the actual article, Mark himself did get COVID-19 oh. and was quite sick with it for many weeks. Fortunately, he didn't get the, the the very nasty version, but he, he was he was ill for a couple of weeks and then took another two or three weeks after that to, to get back to feeling normal again. And so effectively, he's been hit with everything. And his argument is that he was actually really concerned about how the rest of the year would play out. But now he's saying that as July and August have played through, he's finally starting to get the inquiry's back, and he's putting it all down to the work that he's put into his personal brand over the years. Now, of course, that personal brand has been built from blogging, it's been built from writing books, it's been built from speaking at lots of different conferences throughout the world. And the reason for bringing this article up isn't really that it's a great article and and, and a lot of his experiences have been reflected in, in what I've experienced, what you've experienced, and people in our network have experienced. What I'm wondering about is this whole issue of personal brand. And in some, some areas, it can be a little bit of a cliche. But I'm just thinking about all of those people who work within companies. Should they be building a personal brand just in case you know, something like redundancy strikes because of a crisis like COVID. I mean, I look at my circumstances, you know, when I was working in big corporate, I did develop a, a, a big 
profile within the industry that I was working in. And probably at the time, I didn't see that as a personal brand. I just thought I was X, I was Roger Edwards from XYZ Company being quoted in the press. Of course, when I left and decided to become a consultant, that's when the penny dropped. And I realized this is actually a personal brand that you have. And you can leverage that to, you know, get new clients and to, and to, and to work your network. Uh, but, you know, for Mark and for people like us we who do, do have a personal brand, we've got something that we can leverage in times of stress. But what about people who, are, who don't have personal brands who are working in corporates? Is it something that we should be working on as a side hustle? So that, that was the thing that occurred to me as a result of reading Mark's article. I think that it's a really, really good uh, choice so t- to begin with. Uh, I'm glad to hear that um, obviously Mark is, is much, much better. It's not much fun. I think you and I know some individuals who have had to go through this. But secondly, I like the fact that he's kind of created the content to share his thinking, which I think he does really, really well. Back to your question, you're absolutely right. Here we are in a situation where that personal brand really has been the domain of self-employed people or people in in the public domain. So the leaders of organizations or indeed people that would be more customer facing but you and i know bear in mind you know some of the recent news that we've just read and mentioned in our episode but also the news out there there's going to be a large number of redundancies and people you know find themselves seeking employment uh, in the coming months and you're absolutely right you know i can imagine that some of them have been busy working doing an amazing job for for their employers respectively but not necessarily having the time or indeed the, the the presence of mind to create that personal brand because again the assumption has been that it's only for those who are public facing not for me mm. Mm. um but but equally if you're not going to be seeking employment again not necessarily looking for to create your own organization roger someone's going to check you out online aren't they before they you go to you know to that where it won't be to a meeting i suspect still but before you have that zoom call you're going to be checked down by the panel or at least you know the, the decision makers they're going to check your linkedin profile they're going to check what you do on social media if you've um, been blogging they, that would be a tick you know and you're earning some brownie points so essentially showing and demonstrating through your personal brand online before the that, that critical event of the interaction that you're tr- a true participant in your chosen industry like you don't, Roger, or certainly that you have genuine interest and passion for the work that you do. You've got to find ways to express that beyond the CV. So I think that's a great, great way to think about it, Roger. And for me, what Mark is also reminding me is sometimes that slight disconnect. And I try, uh, as you know, my views that sales and marketing go hand in hand. I don't you know, kind of create a division we, we sometimes see in organizations. I sometimes just use the term business development, actually, to mm, help. Mm. But I'm reminded time and time again that, you know, sales is concerned about today. Marketing is concerned about tomorrow. Mm, and what mm. Mark was able to do, like many others, you know, uh, out there, is kind of get himself ready for tomorrow. Through mm. Obviously, the, the work he's done over the years. So, no, thanks for that. It's a really, really good selection. I think it's it's also worth just having a think, whether you're working in a corporate, whether you're working in a, in a business, if you have built 
something around you as an individual, even if you're working for a company, maybe project forward a few years. Now, it's it's pretty hard to do that given everything that's happened this year, obviously. But just ask yourself, what would happen if I needed to move on? Would I be able to keep what I've built? Now, I, you know, I'll just use my example very briefly. When I was working for big corporate, I built up a fairly decent Twitter following, um, and I'd always had it in my name. It was never branded the company. It was it was me. I mean, it might have said in the byline that I worked for XYZ Company. But I remember at the time when when we talked about me moving on, the compromise agreement, I made sure it was in there that the Twitter account that I'd built was me and I could have it and there would be no claim on it by the company. Uh, and I'm really cl- quite glad that I did that because I have heard stories where people have almost had to give up their Twitter accounts because the companies that they're working for see it as their property as opposed to the individual's property. It's a really interesting subject. And I do wonder whether we should bring it back again in future mm. in future sessions. Uh, and mm. indeed, you know, sometimes maybe you and I fall into or go into the uh, ad- advisory mode because we won't mind at all. Now, this week, Roger, I've gone back to a um, long-form article content. Okay. You know that I'm a big fan of curation. Yep. And I'm also a sucker for stats. So what I've got for <laughs> you uh, is a wonderful bit of work from a lady called Lizzie Hillier, who works for mm-hmm. e-consultancy, mentioned a moment ago in the in the news segment. Now, Lizzie mm-hmm. works as a content designer and realization uh, expert, and she essentially does every month or every other month a big stats roundup on the data that can demonstrate the impact of coronavirus on marketing, e-commerce, and advertising. She does this amazing article where she's quoting different sources and she really um, brings together almost like making it a go-to article for people who are are very, very busy. It's split across retail and consumer goods, advertising, social media, workplace impact, entertainment, and employment. So these are the headers. And then within that, she does summaries of the top stats. Now, I'm I'm not going to read, obviously, all the stats for you today, Roger. I'm going to pick some and get your reaction. But if I could really encourage you, our viewers and listeners, to go check it out and and maybe give um, Lizzie also a little shout out. I think she'll appreciate that. So some of the stats that I've picked to get your reaction um, are, to begin with, 35% of all UK online purchases during lockdown were made on Amazon. Number one. Number yeah. two. 49% of UK consumers have cut back on their spending in light of the crisis. That's 49% compared to 33 in France and 28 in Germany. Interesting um, difference there. Next, you've got 27% of UK consumers have started planning and shopping for Christmas. <laughs> I've got another one for you, which uh, will you'll know of uh, in general terms. I've got data for you. Zoom users grew by two thousand percent between January and April 2020. Now, just to give you a context, in January there was just under seven hundred thousand users of. Um, Zoom. Now, you could say that's a big number, but that's tiny compared to the numbers using Skype and Teams at the time. Fast forward to April of this year, we are now 13 million users, one, three, 30 million users, which is double Skype and I would say tripled Teams, um, which is kind of, kind of incredible. Then another stat that you'd be familiar with would be people listening to podcasts. 
in the US, they've done a big survey, 34% of people aged between 25 and 20, 34 now listen to a news-based podcast. Why is it important? Because actually two years ago, they did not. There was another stat which kind of perplexed me, bear in mind what you, in terms of the age group that you and I belong to. They were saying that those aged between 54, 44 sorry, and 55 are the least likely to listen to podcasts. And that just left me very, very perplexed. And then finally, 97% of UK communications professionals have reservations about returning to work in the office. So this is just a sample of... Liz's um, kind of attempt to give us a flavor of the impact of the pandemic on marketing, e-commerce, and advertising. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of things in there that I'm just not surprised about. You know, the fact that that many people are using Amazon, that that you that's what you would expect when people can't go to the shops. Uh, the fact that people in the UK have cut back on spending a lot more than quite a few other European countries is interesting because we are quite, we are, the UK is a, a population just love to spend, don't we? And, and I think that maybe people have just had to sit back and, and just reflect upon what they're buying and think, you know, is it absolutely essential to buy that new kettle or do we wait until things get better? Interestingly enough, that the Christmas one was the one that made me giggle <laughs> because obviously we're in we're in the middle of August now, and by the time this episode of the podcast goes out, it'll be getting towards the the beginning of September. And the beginning of September is usually when the shops start to put the Christmas decorations up, and that's when they start to play Noddy Holder and Slade and Merry Christmas Everybody incessantly for for four months. And I just did think, wouldn't it be nice this year? if we could maybe just put Christmas a little bit further back in the priority, you know, let people just, this year's thrown so much at us. You know, I sometimes wonder whether this this year doesn't deserve a Christmas, but, you know, let, let's just not have Christmas rammed down our throats in the beginning of September going forward. But, but all of those other stats don't surprise me at all, Pascal. I think it's it's what I would have expected to come out of this um, pandemic, but I do agree with you on the age of the podcast listener. <laughs> uh, not sure about that. We'll have to ask Lizzie to go back and recheck those figures. Absolutely. Now, what I like about those stats compendium is this idea that they invite you to reflect on concepts that you know already. But, you know, the speed at which we consume information, sometimes I will be the first one to admit that I forget things or I see something, I kind of clock it, but then I move on to something else and then it just becomes a vague memory or is forgotten altogether. So what I tend to do is sometimes I don't take necessarily the stats at face value because there's always nuances and it's only a small group of people. But it I like the way it challenges me and makes me reflect on things. It's almost like a moment of, of reflection. What was interesting when I was looking at this idea of um, cutting back, I was thinking, you're right. I mean, the UK, number one nation in Europe about online shopping, yeah. and they've been kind of, um, the UK has kept the, the top spot, you know, the gold medal of online shopping for years and years and yeah. years. Um, France and Germany have got a different culture, and they were always more hesitant, more risk adverse when it uh, came to I mean, I remember when I used to go back to France in my family, they were absolutely appalled how essentially, <laughs> you know, flipping that was about, 
giving my credit card details to every website going just to yeah. buy stuff. So I, I think it's fascinating uh, culturally, and, and I think it's, it captures the mood of what's happening uh, at the moment. And once again, I do regret not buying shares in Zoom uh, back early <laughs> in the year. Me too, me too. Excellent. Well, I think thanks again for your comment and feedback, but let's move on to our next segment, Marketing Tech. Now, in this segment, Roger and I choose two apps or software solutions that can make life easier as a marketer and content creator. So, Roger, what have you chosen this week? Okay. App, platform, website number one is called MixKit. MixKit. Now, it's, this is a bit like one that you mentioned in an earlier episode of the show. You you drew my attention to pexels.com, which is a website where you can download B-roll footage and uh, photographs, which are royalty-free. So you can use them in your videos without having to pay any copyright fees. Now, I've come across MixKit, which actually is a variation on a theme. They do have video, which you can use for B-roll, and some of it's nice, some of it's really good, and they do have an extensive supply of photographs but what i really what really drew my attention to mixkit was the templates that they have for the various editing software programs for video now i had a bit of a rant about adobe premiere pro on the last episode of the show but if you use adobe premiere pro mixkit have got some fabulous templates everything from you know those snazzy little subscribe buttons and bell buttons that you can put onto onto youtube videos videos right down to you know professional introductions like we have on the two geeks in a marketing podcast video version so yeah mix kit it's it's i think it's that focus on the templates that really drew my attention to it as opposed to the videos and the photographs but well worth checking out if you're into video production into video editing and you just want to have something that's copyright free and instantly available to download. Now, Pascal, I do have to admit that the next one is a little bit of a con <laughs> because something happened to me last week. It's a nice little story, and I want to tell this story on the on the podcast. It will lead to a piece of, of tech, but I think the story is well well worth telling. Now, a few weeks ago, um, I, I, I've been scrambling around to, looking for podcasts, looking for new music to listen to. And a friend of mine told me, go and listen to a band called Gandalf's Fist. Now, if somebody told you to go and listen to a band called Gandalf's Fist, you would immediately think that sounds interesting, wouldn't you? You know, it brings up in your head Lord of the Rings. It's perhaps all fantasy-based, etc. So I, I went and looked this group up and... As this person expected, I absolutely love this music. It's uh, it's prog rock, modern prog rock. I guess the, the, the technical name for it is neo-prog rock. And they released an album in 2016 called The Clockwork Fable, which is about three and a half hours long. So it's a hell of a listen. And... I have, I've absolutely absorbed this album. I've been listening to it in the car. I've been listening to it at home, in the bath, when I've been doing workouts, whatever. But there's been something niggling me about the lead vocalist in some of the tracks, the, this female. And you know what it's like when you get it in your head and think, where have I heard this lady before? So obviously, Google's your friend, uh, Gandalf's Fist, vocalist. This lady's called Melissa Hollick. <laughs> 
So I think, well, that doesn't ring a bell. So I Googled further, what else has she, which other groups has she sung in? And here's a list of the groups. And well, I don't recognize any of those groups. So where have I heard this lady's voice before? It's really started to bug me. And I was sat in uh, my favorite cafe the other day having, um, having a cup of coffee and I was just about to publish the marketing and finance podcast for that week. And that's when the penny dropped. This lady, Melissa Hollick, did the introductory voiceover for the first hundred episodes no. of my podcast. <laughs> Seriously, Pascal. And 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 the, obviously it was the it, I just didn't connect. I mean, I'm I'm up to t- episode 252 now, so it's still it's actually quite a while ago since she stopped doing it. But the the fact of the matter and bringing it sort of full circle to marketing tech is that I originally went onto Fiverr.com back in 2014, and I went through a list of people who do voiceovers for podcasts, and here was Melissa Hollick, and I think I paid her twenty five dollars for the rights to use her introduction on my podcast. And I stuck with it for 100 episodes. So, you know, you never know. That- you go on to something like Fiverr, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden I can say, hey, I've got a, a vocalist from a rock album doing my introduction. Well, maybe that should be part of uh, your, your own PR stunt, you know, for, yeah. for your series. But what a story. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm so glad that you found her because that would have just got, got you demented for weeks and months, <laughs> you know, racking your brain about who she was and so on. But yeah, Fiverr, a, f- a fantastic website. I mean, I think we've all had the pleasure of using some of the services. But so two things fantastic two choices and an amazing story uh i mean do you think you should maybe go back and start to promote your your your, your podcast saying and with introduction by and and using her name uh, as a way to get more coverage well that that's a that's a good idea maybe i should just bring her um vocal introduction back you know because i took the decision i think i think from episode 100 onwards i got another vo- uh, vocal introduction from fiverr as well and then from about episode 150 onwards i've just been doing the introduction myself <laughs> in hindsight i think she probably has a better voice than me Absolutely. Well, you might find that you know the the fans may may, may actually want to purchase maybe a copy <laughs> of the introduction you know, done by her. Well, that, that's uh. wow. I mean, like you know, what a story. This is amazing. Well, listen, let me take you into my two choices for this week. Okay. One is a um, kind of software solution for your laptop for audio production, and one is a mobile phone app for video production. The first one is called Audio Hijack by a company called Rogue Amoeba, which I think is a fantastic name. And Audio Hijack is a solution that I bought many years ago, but I forgot about it. So in a way, by working with you, Roger, on Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, I find that I myself to be reconnected with uh, my old toys. I feel very guilty, and I feel like that kid from Toy Story that puts everything in a box and gives, <laughs> gives it away. And... Um, now, Audio Hijack is a wonderful platform, as I've re- rediscovered, because it's very visual. And you know, sometimes some of those software solutions is just a long list of tick boxes and and drop down buttons and so and, and that kind of things. And sometimes it can be very very hard to understand what you're doing with with your workflow. 
Audio Hijack is like a flowchart mixed with a mind map where you can really, by using symbols and, and squares, you can drag and drop. You can put together a workflow. You can decide where is a sound coming from. You can have multiple sources. You could come from a microphone. You could come from Zoom. You could come from Skype. And then you can put it together into an output, which would be you know, your file. But then in between, you can drop, you know, drag and drop some uh, audio kind of uh, improvements in my case, a denoiser. It could be that you want to increase the, the trebles or the, the, the bass. You can do so many different things. But the power of Audio Hijack, Roger, is that it's visual. So in a mm-hmm. way, you don't have to be a technician to understand how to pull together your workflow. You select on the right-hand side menu and you drag and you drop into a central pane, a window, and then everything there in front of you. Then you can double-click within those little symbols and you can have more options. So I've beco- I've re-become, if you like, you know, a big fan of Audio Hijack, purchased many years ago, but somehow, as is often the case, moved away from it. The second solution, which actually was inspired by um, your comment about the Adobe Premiere Rush, uh, about simplicity and what you can do. Now, there's a company out there called Filmora that provides a um, solution for video production, um, and I think is a great, great way to start to understand video editing. But they also have an app version called Vlog It, Vlog as in mm-hmm. vlogging, and then It um, IT. And it's a really, really powerful mobile phone app, Roger. You can do overlays. You can do text very simply. More importantly, you can also do narration, which I think is where its mm-hmm. power comes from. So you could be recording something. You could be uh, editing something. And then once it's finished, you can literally play it and then record your voice over and then create you know, a finished product. But also this idea of you know, very disposable social media content that doesn't need necessarily a lot of work. I think vlog it by a company called Filmora, who has, again, a whole suite of um, software solution, could be a great, great addition. So there you have it, audio production or video production. I thought it would, there would be two worthy kind of solutions uh, for people to consider. Fantastic. I will look at both of those. Thank you. Now, let's move on to what I understand to be, again, one of your favorite segments of this uh, podcast, Roger, This Week in History. In 1935, the first in a series of six articles announcing the supposed discovery of life on the moon appears in the New York Sun newspaper. In 1932, Amelia Earhart becomes the first woman to make the transcontinental flight when she landed at the Newark Airport in New Jersey after 19 hours flight from Los Angeles. In 1950, the BBC transmits the first ever live television show from across the channel. The two-hour programme was presented by Richard Dimbleby and Alan Adair from Calais in northern France. In 1960, Echo-1, the world's first communication satellite, is launched. The balloon enabled voice communication between scientists in New Jersey and a NASA facility in California. In 1987, Dirty Dancing, the film directed by Emil Ardolino, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey, opened in the United States. In 1993, Capcom releases Street Fighter II Turbo Hyper Fighting for the Super NES in the US. The Street Fighter II arcade game started the fighting game boom of the 90s. 
And in 2003, the blaster worm, also known as MS Blast or Lovesan, begins to spread on the internet, infecting Windows XP and Windows 2000 computers. Pesky viruses. Mm. And finally, in 2006, Roger, the International Astronomical Union defined the term planet for the first time and declared that Pluto was no longer the solar system's ninth planet, demoting it to the status of a dwarf planet. Poor Pluto. I know. I was so disappointed. I mean, <laughs> even though it's a draw planet, it's still a planet. But yeah. um, I couldn't help but I nearly burst into laughter. You mentioned two things, Dirty Dancing, because yes. uh, what a film that was back in the days. And of course, I spent a fortune playing Street Fighter 2 as well. Oh, I spent a fortune playing most video games in, in, in arcades. I mean, Dirty Dancing is one of those films. It's a polarizing film, isn't it? Um, I don't particularly like Dirty Dancing. Um, it's, it's, it's okay. I, I, there are much better musicals, dancing films, in, to, to my mind. Footloose, for example. But no, I know a lot of people absolutely love Dirty Dancing. And Patrick Swayze can't get away from the fact that he was a great actor. Great, great screen performer. I mean, really, in France, we, he kind of became you know, a, a star for the French market with Roadhouse. That mm. was, I mean, I remember I went to see it three times with my friends. Dirty Dancing, big fan. Uh, I think the music, obviously, um, was, is the album still to this day is played on radios all the time. Uh, from memory, the movie won many awards for the music. I don't think there was much recognition for the acting for some reason. Mm. I actually saw Dirty Dancing um, recently. I have to say, Roger, it still st stands up, actually explores some pretty difficult subject matters, Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, uh, I think it's uh, it's a feel good movie. I think alongside to Mamma Mia and and many others, but because in in eighty seven, I think it had been some uh, Footloose had been around for a while. I think uh, Dirty Dancing was just a, that kind of new take uh, on the theme. But uh, can we go back to once again? We seem to always. I, I have do. I, I do actually have to tell the listeners of the Two Geeks in the Marketing podcast that my sister was Patrick Swayze's agent. And um, recently there's been a program broadcast in the States, which was like the, the, the life story of Patrick Swayze, because sadly he died young of, of, of cancer. And, and my sister, Kate Edwards, she was featured quite prominently in this show, reminiscing about working with him all those years from Dirty Dancing through to Ghost and all the other films that he made. Yeah, it was a very good documentary, and and, and she just, I think she was the only um, Brit actually present on the documentary as That's well. That's probably and, true. And yeah. she was she did really really well. Uh, it was a very moving documentary for everybody, uh, including your sister, when they were being interviewed. Uh, now, thanks for that. I, I'd forgotten. Can I ask about you know? I mean, we seem to always find some news about uh, or this week in history about France somehow. It's kind of comical, <laughs> but. My goodness, Richard Dibbleby must have been so young <laughs> in 1950. <laughs> I mean, he's been on TV forever. Um, has he got like a portrait in the, in the loft or something? Because, uh, I mean, 1950, so that's um, yeah, 70 years ago, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. Richard Dibbleby must have been like a teenager. I don't know. It's really quite something. It's, maybe Richard Dimbleby's actually immortal, <laughs> and, and he's he's just waiting for the time of the gathering so that they, you know, there can be only one. It does make you wonder. He does seem to have been around forever. <laughs> and I remember vividly the um, the blaster worm. I didn't know that it had a name, but two thousand and three, I was I just started a new, new job in public sector, 
and IT security obviously was on the agenda. And I remember vividly, um, you know, that virus and what was done at the time to protect us and how he was catching people out. And I love the juxtaposition there between Street Fighter (laughs) 2 in one breath and then another breath you're talking about battling viruses on computers. Actually, it's not dissimilar, is it, (laughs) really? One's a game and one's really serious business. It is, yes. But um, yeah, so This Week in History is is a fun segment, but also f- for me, it's a reminder about you know how quickly things move on. And, and it comes out, sometimes it pays to kind of um, you know stop and, and take stock. I mean, you know, I mentioned in, in my little um, summary about um, Echo One, you know, the, the very first satellite that would allow people to obviously communicate over very, very long distances. I think in 1960, that allowed us to be in a position where nowadays we could communicate anywhere in in the world Mm, absolutely right all right so let's move on now if you don't mind to something a bit different in style and essentially format the contents creators shout outs In this segment, Roger and I take a moment to celebrate the work of content creators out there who are planning, producing, and publishing great content in the written form, in audio and video form. So, Roger, who have you chosen for this week's shout-outs? Okay, I've got a couple for you, Pascal. The first one is a gentleman called Ash Borland, and he runs a podcast called the Personal Branding 101 Podcast. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to introduce Ash to you in this episode, given that we talked about personal branding a little bit earlier in reference to Mark Schaefer's article. Now, I met Ash at a conference that I was speaking at last October. I was the the closing keynote speaker, and Ash kept in touch, and I've watched his videos, I've I've listened to his podcast, and very recently he was kind enough to invite me to be a guest on his podcast. Now, I'm not plugging my episode um, particularly, but I just want to plug his podcast in general, because for anybody who is thinking about some of those issues that are raised before, you know, should I make sure that absolutely everybody understands that it's my Twitter account and not the company's Twitter account, you know, that those sort of things, you really should have a listen to Ash's podcast because he, he just goes into all of these areas that you might want to consider about you as a personal brand and his background is he's got a varied background and he's been a financial advisor he's been an actor he's 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 done stand-up so he, he just knows what it is to project the image of yourself so check it out ash borland's podcast personal branding 101 the second person i'd like to draw your attention to pascal is a gentleman called romin nikiza now romin runs a youtube channel and in the same way as the my marketing and finance podcast predominantly is aimed at a financial services audience so romin has put together a, a, a video series aimed around the subject of pensions. Now, pensions, to a lot of people, is one about probably one of the most boring subjects they could ever think about. But Romin does an incredible job of making something as dry as pensions and other investment ideas, to be perfectly honest, seem incredibly interesting. He's got a in- very engaging style of video production, he tells stories remarkably well. He's so engaging from that point of view and seriously can make those dry subjects just pop. 
And I think it's it just highlights how good he is that he's gone from 67 subscribers on YouTube to 51,000 subscribers on YouTube in just three years. Now, that's a remarkable achievement. You know, it's all right for people who play Fortnite and who've got 5 million subscribers because the vast majority of, of, of people of a certain age in the world at the moment are playing Fortnite, so you would expect that. But pensions, this guy has built a solid audience on a dry subject, and I think he should be really congratulated for that. Smashing, and you're absolutely right. You know where one can get inspiration from is it's when it's hard or harder. Mm. And you're right. Mm. You know you can look at someone playing Fortnite and kind of understand why there would be some element of popularity. Someone addressing pension but finding an angle and approach to really engage an audience. This is where most people can learn from. So mm. smashing. Mm. Thank you very much. Well, Roger, this week I this week I want to celebrate new beginnings. I think deep down I'm a bit addicted to new new projects and new starts and new beginnings. So two ladies who have launched a podcast recently. The first one is a lady called Chloe Thomas. Now Chloe is the founder of e-commerce master plan or master clash, should I say. And what she essentially is doing is helping people who run B2C or certainly online kind of trading businesses with mm -hmm. uh, essentially finding a way to engage their audience and be more successful. Now, she's had a podcast squarely about the e-commerce master plan and masterclass for a while, but she launched, a, she launched a brand new one recently called the Keep Optimizing Marketing Podcast. And what she's doing really smartly, she's going deep into marketing technique and strategies. Mm. She's inviting guests to talk about email marketing in depth and SEO in depth and so on and so forth. It's just been launched recently. And again, uh, in the spirit of new beginnings and celebrating you know, the, the work that goes behind it, I wanted to mention Chloe uh, Thomas to you. Now, the next lady uh, is perhaps known to you because she's part of the Upreneur community is Claire Josa or Rosa, as I would like to pronounce it the Spanish yeah. way. I need to check with her one day. Now, uh, Claire, as you know, is an author, speaker, and mentor. She's also the host of a brand new podcast series called The Soul Led Leaders Podcast, which taps into Claire's specialism in emotional intelligence and how to get the best out of your team and yourself as a leader by tapping into the heart, not just the brain. So she's got a lonely way to go about it. And the most recent podcast episode that she's recorded is called Pot Post Lockdown Burnout, Why We Need to Reset Our Lockdown Response. And what she's saying is that, you know, we've been on lockdown and we've been dealing with the consequence of the pandemic since March, which is a long time. Yes. And you should not feel guilty if you feel a little drained and rather you know, fatigued by the, the whole affair. And what you need to do essentially is work on yourself and start to reset your thinking and your expectation, which I think is absolutely perfect because yes, I mean, it's, and it's gonna last for a while. This virus is not gonna go away just now, Roger. So again, New Beginnings, a brand new podcast. It's a new kind of journey for her as a content creator. So I wanted to kind of mention both to you, Chloe Thomas and Claire Josa or Rosa, we shall find out one day. <laughs> yeah, Claire wrote a fabulous book called Ditching Imposter Syndrome, which is a great read for anybody who gets those wobbles when they're about to go on stage or whether they're about to take over a big project. So, yeah, absolutely behind you on that one, Pascal. Excellent. Now, Roger, it is time to move on 
into film marketing. So, Roger, today the film that I want to discuss with you is Tenet, Tenet by Chris Nolan. Now, this is a film that people have been waiting for uh, a lot. I mean, it's part of the 2020 batch of you know Hollywood blockbusters that people have been kind of waiting. But like all those movies, it's kind of been plagued by delays and postponements. So let me remind you that this movie was meant to be the summer blockbuster released originally on the 17th of July. Then it got posted the 31st of July. Then it got posted the 12th of August. The date of its release in the UK is the 26th of August. That's what happens to be today, Roger. <laughs> well, we did record this a few um, weeks um, before that, so I'm hoping that it has actually gone live today because we can't edit this now, can we? <laughs> No, that, that's the tricky part about, you know, batching content. But suddenly, as per my, you know, plan on Excel, this episode is going out on 26th of August, which is a date of the release of Tenet. Now, what is interesting about this movie, a high anticipation, a little marketing to a point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it's interesting that... The, it's a film I just don't know a great deal about, other than the controversy around its delay. And and I, the only news item that I've seen, Pascal, and and again, I, I don't know whether this is actually true or not, is that the one of the reasons it was being delayed apparently is that Christopher Nolan is being paid entirely on royalties from cinema sales. Uh, now, a- again, if you go back in history, it's one of the, it's one of those myths, isn't it? No, well, not myths. It was true, but it's become mythical that Alec Guinness was originally paid a percentage of the takings from Star Wars, and at the time, you know, I think I don't know what the figure was. He agreed to three percent or something, and he was probably expected to make you know, a couple of hundred thousand pounds tops. But of course, Star Wars became such an amazing mega global phenomenon that he, he was effectively minted for life just upon that particular decision. Now, if it's true and Christopher Nolan is going to be paid by percentage of box office takings, then you can understand he wouldn't really want the film launching now when the cinema attendance is so low. So is the fact that it's going ahead albeit with minimal marketing, as you've said, does that actually suggest that that story isn't true? I don't know. I'm still wondering whether, you know, for the distributors, uh, I'm going to say Warner Brothers, but I can't be sure, Roger. I wonder if this is a test for all the other movies. So this is the first one, uh, major production that is being released on 26th of August. They're all going to be watching what's happening in terms of revenues and ticket sales, attendance at the cinemas, and so on and so forth, and then make a decision for the others. So mm-hmm. you've got two things. If this doesn't go well, Roger, what does that mean to all the other movies? Mm-hmm. Number one. And more importantly, as I understand it, Roger, the 26th of August is essentially around the world apart from the US because in the US there's still some very very strict uh, lockdown measures with regard to going to the cinema and they are looking to release the movie later on in September um, including Japan from my reading so for me it's almost like it feels like there's a lot of pressure on Tenet to, to do well for not just obviously potentially helping Chris pay his bills down the line but also for the, the, all the others including Bond 25 the and I uh, talked about, you know, Wonder Woman 1984, sorry, and many others like Mulan and and, and so on. 
I mean, we spoke a moment ago, Roger, that there was little marketing. There was some marketing, of course. So there was the, the teaser trailer like they always do sometime in our uh, last year and then which has been almost christopher nolan's kind of call, calling card he does like a prologue like he does like a scene mm. that mm. is not part of the movie but the scene that kind of builds the story t- towards it which was shown just before the rise of skywalker which is actually the one when i became aware of tenet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't actually remember what the scene was uh, in detail i just know that the visual special effects of rewinding time just blew my mind and I mm. thought right and it's Christopher Nolan I'm going to go and see that and then back to what you were saying a moment ago about Fortnite becoming almost like another distribution channel they did release a trailer um I think a couple of months ago on Fortnite only That's because right. of course they couldn't show it at the cinema so I have to say I'm not a player of Fortnite but I could just join Fortnite to be able to catch up on trailers um to kind of keep up with them yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, we, we've had this conversation a, a number of times that sometimes a big blockbusting epic film like this, and they don't seem to put much in the way of marketing promotional work behind it, bar, as you've said, the, the trailer and, and a few spots. Now, is, is, is it that they don't want to blow the plot? I mean, sometimes you can argue that some trailers, effectively, you may as well not go and see the mm. film because they give most of the the um, action away. And you know, there have been some examples of trailers have completely blown a plot twist. But there must be more that they can do. You know, focus in, do spotlights on the specific characters, um, build anticipation. You know, not, don't leak the plot in its entirety, but you know. Give, give little teasers away. But for this particular film, given the controversy surrounding its delay, I still know very little about it. I'm with you. I just understand. I mean, sometimes I wonder, you know, what would I want from a film website? Because mm. the film website for Tenet is mediocre to, mm-hmm. you know, to the least. There are some social media presence, but it's on the Warner Brothers official channels so it's just as and when they have a moment to squeeze it in and you're right there, there could be so much inside but also for me it's back to the Lord of the Rings uh, marketing campaign that you and I kind of explored that interaction with the audience you know give us something that we can kind of get excited about give us some video clips that allow us to maybe make our own trailer and share it mm-hmm. on social media give us yeah you're out the spotlight on the actors and so on I mean one thing that surprised me as well about uh, the marketing, not just of Tenet, actually, but of all movies. Now, I'm sure you'll agree, because I know you're a big, massive music fan and, and music film score fan, that the music composer is so, so important alongside with the director and the actors. And so little is said sometimes. So on this occasion, um, Christopher Nolan is not working with Hans Zimmer, who he's worked with in the past. Uh, Hans is busy working on Dune, the TV mm-hmm. series, which I think is mm-hmm. going to be exceptional. So what we have instead is someone that will be known, uh, but not perhaps by name, but certainly be known in terms of the sound. He's produced a, late, a gentleman called Ludwig Goransson. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've seen The Mandalorian, and if you've enjoyed the soundtrack, well, he's a man behind, you know, that sound. Ludwig Grandson is also work on uh, Black Panther for the Marvel Universe and films that actually deserve more um, kind of, uh, I would say, v- viewing audience Creed and Creed 2. So I'm also surprised that they're not making a big song and dance about the music composer. Bear in mind that he's worked on The Mandalorian and Black Panther, I would argue, big, big production movies. 
I'd like to see I'd like to see a lot more focus on the music. You know, I mean, again, the aforementioned Bond Twenty Five, the theme tune to a Bond film always almost becomes as big as the film itself. You know, there's that anticipation: who is going to be the singer? You know, is it Adele? Is it Shirley Bassey? Is it whoever it's going to be? Um, but then, yeah, some films. You just don't know what's going on. And the big names like Hans Zimmer that you've mentioned there, John Williams, okay, pretty much household names. But surely there's an opportunity to showcase some of the lesser-known composers for films and and to use things like Spotify and, and YouTube to really big them up and make it as big a part of the film promotion as the actual stars themselves and the plot itself. I think I think it's a... You know, it's probably an area that that has been neglected. For me, it's you know, ultimately they will push you to buy the album eventually. You know, the, they will they will actually, if you look at the mm. um, bonus mm. uh, elements of the Blu-ray, they will interview the film composer, music composer. Mm. So why not actually make sure that it's a bit like mm. you were saying a moment ago about linking it to a business. You, all the team members get, you know, that spotlight pre-release of, of the movie. Yeah. I mean, you know, I even uh, can tell you that Christopher Nolan doesn't, hasn't got a LinkedIn profile, which I think... <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe we should um, offer a service to the film industry. You and I become their social media managers and, and kind of uh, whatever. But I don't know, I, I just think that... Um, you know, it's, it's back to first impression, isn't it? Which is the idea of if you don't really uh, put any effort into the marketing, particularly, in, you know, with the current pandemic, how are we supposed to fill an audience? Are we supposed to just get excited just because uh, it's it exists, you know, it's been produced because it's Christopher Nolan, because of its, you know, uh, obviously from, I think, Memento, I kind of thought the guy was, was really a very competent storyteller. Are we... You know, I just need a bit more, uh, or f- forgive me what I'm trying to say very clumsily, Roger. Show me that you are excited too about your yeah. own movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll join you as opposed to asking me to kind of, uh, you know, work, work myself up t- towards, you know, no, f- you, from- you, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you think about it now, you know, I, to go to the cinema to see a film, you've got to overcome quite a lot of obstacles haven't you? You know, somebody might say, oh, do you know what? We'll wait for it to come out on Blu-ray because I've got this gigantic, great big television at home, which isn't too bad. You know, I don't want to sit in a cinema listening to people munching through tortilla chips and popcorn and burgers and hot dogs. I want to sit in, in the luxury of my own home with a glass of wine. Or And now we've got layered on top of that the fears that people still have of COVID and the fact that we're social distancing is, do I really want to go to the cinema? Or, and uh, you know, in Edinburgh down the road in Dolkeith Park over the weekend, they've actually had a drive-in movie as, an, as a, uh, a test. Now, I've seen that this on, on uh, social media <laughs> looks quite cool. You know, you, you drive in and you've got the big screens. But, you know, that's that's not an experience that the majority of people in the UK have had. I know drive-in movies you know, have always been big in the States, but there's all these hurdles you've got to get over to convince somebody to go to see it at the cinema. And and if you don't put much into your marketing, then I don't think you're going to overcome those hurdles. Now, so I think back to this idea of you know film marketing being a, a segment where you and I kind of uh, extract lesson from the world of film production for the world of B two B and B two C. It's back to this idea of just because it exists and just because you believe in it, 
is not sufficient. You've got to find a way to express it and get all those to, to join in. I mean, some cinemas, you know, I think are concerned about it. Some of them have, have gone ahead and done some special screenings of mm. previous work from Christopher Nolan. Uh, it so happens that this year, some of them have gone ahead and done the 10th anniversary of Inception. Again, fantastic mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. And they kind of saw others are seeing the signs that, you know, if we're not careful here and we just treat it as, as if nothing uh, is getting in the way of someone making a decision to buy a mm -hmm. ticket, we're going to be disappointing. And I think, again, I'm just worried that all the eyes uh, would be on the performance of Tenet for the decision of what happens to, yes. to the others. And, and, I, and I wonder whether, in a way, it's... People are just delaying the inevitable that the majority of blockbusters or Hollywood, you know, high value production will, are going to go into streaming as opposed to cinema screens. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's inevitable. And I think that they are going to have to come up with a fair pricing system for us to watch blockbusters. So, you know, I don't I don't expect to pay five ninety nine to watch Tenet and, and to allow my entire family to watch Tenet with me. You know, I would be perfectly happy to pay a similar sort of price per person to see it at home in a, instead of going to the cinema. So, you know, you're, you're probably talking about 10 to 15 pounds each to watch it. Now, how they police that, I don't know, but maybe they come up with a, a household rate or something like that. But if this pandemic goes on any, fur, any further and, and people's return to the cinema is slow for all the fear reasons that we've discussed, then it's inevitable that they're going to have to look at a pricing alternative. They can't just keep delaying these films forever. Mm, do you know what? Um, we need to wrap up this episode, unfortunately. And it's so tempting to talk about Christopher Nolan's career, to talk about John David Washington, you know, one of well, the star of, of the film, as you know, who's done some amazing work. I'm really interested to see what Robert Pattinson as well makes of the role he's been given. Of course, he's known primarily for the Twilight Saga and, and a few other things, but I think there's going to be some great, great performance there. What I like about Christopher Nolan, though, he he's clearly loves the world of cinema because mm. his casting is always kind of very varied, and he has mm. all generation. He's got Michael Caine again, you know, working with him, and he's got kind of the Brown and so on. He's even got as far as looking for international um, stars. A lady called uh, Dimple Kapadia from India would be present as well. And I love, you know, that kind of real kind of uh, ensemble cast as well, but it's very, very diverse for a film that essentially promises to be a cross between James Bond and time travel. Mm, mm. Oh, I just love a time travel movie going back to the future again. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, this was episode seven of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for our viewers and listeners. Please do subscribe and leave your suggestions and comments in the usual places. He was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintuni. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. Right.